Do I know you? No. No. But you doubted me. I'm sorry, I have to go. No need to leave yet. But I'm late. You are not content with the stories. So I was obliged to come. Be my victim. Be my victim. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Without these things, I am nothing. So now, I must shed innocent blood. Come with me. Hey everyone, welcome to Horror Haven Podcast. I'm Dylan. I'm Sierra. Hey, I'm Steve. Tonight we're going to be talking about Candyman from 1992. Only the first one, though. That's the year I was born, so we know it's going to be a good one. Tomorrow's Sierra's birthday, too. Oh, shit. Happy, so, uh, 20, pre-birthday. 27. Whoa. Ugh, I'm old. <laughs> Almost 30. I'm officially going to be in my late 20s. Damn, it's crazy. It's like a midlife crisis. I am panicking a little. <laughs> So, uh, enjoy the episode, guys. Have you ever heard of Candyman? And if you look in the mirror, you say his name five times. In cities everywhere... Candyman? They whisper his name. Right. Candyman. It's just a story. Candyman? Candyman. Just a... ghost story. Candyman. An entire community starts attributing the daily horrors of their lives to a mythical figure. The legend first appeared in 1890. He was attacked, mutilated, and burned to death. Poor Candyman. Helen, a woman died in there. Leave it. Everyone knows he isn't real. That's modern oral folklore. Everyone. Except Helen Lyle. Bring it up. It ain't safe around here. That don't scare too easy. Wanna know about Ruthie Jane? They ain't never gonna catch him. Who? Candyman. Alright, so Candyman was directed by Bernard Rose and written also by Bernard Rose, but it was based on the story The Forbidden by Clive Barker, which 
I feel like a fucking idiot because I had no idea that this was based on a Clive Barker story. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> no, dude. I watched this movie before, too, and we we put it on, and the opening credits, it comes up, like, based on the Forbidden by Clive Barker. And I'm like, what? Didn't so then you I watch this with... for the first time with me? Yeah, like in high school. Like, yeah. But uh, I pulled out, because I, I just bought it on VHS to uh, cover it for this episode, and it says right on the front, like, from the mind of Clive Barker. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? How did I never know this? I feel like this is vital information. <laughs> I never want to be caught in Clive Barker's mind. I can't wait to meet him in August. Oh, shit. But, um, the movie was released in 1992. It currently has an IMDb rating of a 6.6 .6 out of 10. I don't think that's fair. Um, it would go on to spawn two sequels that were not as well received as the first one. With reason. Yeah. The movie stars Virginia Madsen as Helen and Tony Todd as Candyman. The Clive Barker story was originally taking place in London, and rather than focus on race as the main theme, it focused on the social and economic classes of London. I think it's cool how they changed the, I, like they yeah. changed it slightly to make it fit better ideas of the time and place. You know what I mean? It made it make yeah. more sense to us, like to to the viewers. I, I think I don't think it would be as well received and as much. I know those British impact. accents are just fucking annoying. <laughs> well, as I don't think it would have had as much of an impact had they gone that route. So I think that it was definitely a a wise choice to change the theme of the movie. Um, the movie had a budget of six million and it grossed over twenty five million in the U S. Nice. The I'd say that's a hit. Yeah. yeah. A couple of quick facts. Virginia Madison replaced Bernard Rose's wife as the Did main they actress. Divorce? No, she oh. got pregnant, so she couldn't play the role. Um, that was the best accent because I love her. And then uh, she's so hot too. <laughs> she uh, had Virginia Madison not been available, the role would have went to Sandra Bullock, who was unknown at the time. Uh, you know what? I, nothing against Sandra Bullock, but. She Virginia did, like, I just can't picture like, her yeah. in a in a horror movie. Right? That's what she I thought. She was so perfect for this. Well, like, speaking she of... She was meant to play yeah. him. Yeah, speaking of not picturing someone in a horror role, Eddie Murphy was up for the role of Candyman. I'm just picturing his doofy-ass laugh. I'm like, so <laughs> happy that didn't happen either. I'm I, so happy that didn't happen. I don't think I would have been able to take this movie as serious. Do you guys remember the Nutty Professor where yeah. he played everything? Um... He, what happened to Eddie Murphy? He used to be so, funny. I read that, uh, I actually read two different things from different places. Uh, one that I read said that they replaced Eddie Murphy because he wasn't tall enough. They thought that Tony Todd being like 6'5 was more threatening than Eddie Murphy being 5'9. Um, another thing I read was that they couldn't afford to pay Eddie Murphy what he was requesting so well, eddie murphy was already known at the, pretty well known at the time because he oh, was pretty yeah. popular he, in the 80s but it was weird like i don't see why they would be like oh eddie murphy the <laughs> the comedic uh, guy <laughs> again i am so happy that that didn't happen because like tony todd's presence in this movie oh, and his is voice? just unmatched yeah. exactly his voice it's so dark and tony todd is candy man yeah he absolutely. is and it's is one of his most proudest roles he'd say it, it's so funny, too, because 
he puts out this such a threatening presence. But he's so kind in yeah, person. Yeah, we we met him at uh, Days of the Dead last year, and he was the fucking like nicest he was, guy. He was going he was like, like a fanboy of other horror. He was actors. He was gone from his table pretty much all weekend because he was going and either like talking to other actors or he was just going and bullshitting with like vendors or, like, and like checking art. out their stuff. Yeah, yeah, buying art and shit. Him and Derek Mears both were doing that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He yeah. was supposed to be at the last Monster Mania. I was at, but he had to cancel, He actually, uh, after they closed the vendor booths, he went outside, and we walked up front, and he was just, like, outside bullshitting with people, drinking a Corona, yeah. and, like, taking selfies with people and shit. Yeah, and it was That's funny, because, awesome. like, at his yeah. table, it costed money to do a selfie with him, but, like, when he walked away, he was, like, going up to people and be like, you want a selfie? Yeah. And he's doing it for free. <laughs> I would have been so happy to be there to meet him. Yeah. Days so... of the Dead was a blast, because it was, like, um, like a hangout. This is probably my favorite Tony Todd role, too. Last yeah. week we talked phony Todd. This week we're talking the real deal. Yeah. The real deal, exactly. <laughs> this is no Walmart version. It's not. Uh, a couple of facts I want to drop on there. So uh, after watching like an interview with Tony Todd, he said he got a lot of like influence from Lon Chaney mm-hmm. um, because they were going for like a gothic horror style but set in like modern urban times. I feel like you really do get that with his presence and, oh, and the way he speaks. Yeah, he was, like, all about, like, Phantom of the Opera. It's and, very like, dark, Forbidden yeah. Love. I read exactly. that, that he wanted to, he wanted to, like, do his own spin on Phantom of the Opera because he was such a fan of it. Can I just say, like, that first line you hear him speak where he's like, I'll cut you from, from growing to Like, oh! It's actually that, like, a line from uh, Hamlet. That, like, <laughs> instantly just, like, makes me, like, oh, I don't want to mess with this guy. He's creepy. Yeah. Hell yeah, that opening, like, so dark. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll go, like, yeah, we'll go scene for scene for it. Um, We'll just get, like, before the... Before we do, though, perfectly. a couple more facts I wanted to um, drop as I was uh, watching all these interviews, which, if anyone is, like, a serious fan of, like, you know, um, Candyman and and they, like, you know, dabble with, like, Arrow video, that limited edition release is worth every penny because of all the shit it comes with. Dude, you were sending so, me videos of, like, the booklets and shit, and I was like, dude, this oh is badass. The booklet it comes with is just original uh, concept storyboard art, which is fucking... It's cool to see. So, um, like, taking notes down, I realized um, a couple of things. So, the... His Tony, sorry, not Tony Todd, but Candyman's rib cage. Mm-hmm. That was Frank's rib cage from Hellraiser. Really? Yeah. So I was like, that rib cage kind of looks familiar too. And then, sure enough, um, when I was reading the interview, they they were like, yeah, we borrowed it from like the Frank costume in Hellraiser. And um, Virginia Madison, Mad uh, Madison, mm. uh, she was hypnotized. So anytime yeah. like you saw her like in that weird like. You know, kind of anytime like her and Candyman would be on screen and she'd almost seen a daze. Yeah, she was actually being hypnotized and to the point where she had to like, they had to tone back because it was just getting to her. Yeah. Which is fucking crazy. I read that she had asked them to stop because it got to the point where they had like a trigger uh, trigger phrase. So they would, like, speak it, and she'd just go into the trance, so... That's so crazy. They made yeah. her a sleeper soldier? Pretty much, yeah. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to find out what the phrase was, it and was just, like, like, meet her at a convention it, one day and say it, and It was the one from Family blank. Guy, like, that was the t- that, that Italian, Italian family's family. really quiet. <laughs> yeah, but, and then, like, um, another thing, to, to kind of build that, like, you know, because this is kind of, like, based on, like, forbidden love, so to play on that, like, romanticism... 
the director had like Tony Todd and Virginia like partake in like ballroom dancing and fencing and like romantic like activities to kind of build that like bond. Which yeah. I, I was... want you to take her on a date. Be the <laughs> yeah, gentleman. Really? Open the door. Marry her. Um, stay with her for six months, and then we're gonna start filming. <laughs> if you get her pregnant, it's not our problem. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, I read a couple things too. Um, I've read that academics have claimed that Clive Barker stole an African American urban legend. But Clive Barker has argued this multiple times that he created the Candyman urban legend. It wasn't something that. that existed before. But it, it at the same time though, it's pretty much just a play on like Bloody Mary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. They had a blacksmith. They hired a blacksmith to make the hook for Candyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made it. The crew went to pick it up, and he refused to sell it to them because he found out that it was for a Clive Barker movie, and he was a devout Christian. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So he would not sell it to them. Um, Do you think they would have mentioned that when they had to make it? Like, this is for a horror movie, just so you know. Philip Glass, who wrote the uh, the score for the movie, which is fucking beautiful. Yeah. I'll say that. Oh, um, yeah. He wrote it as a gothic score. Um, he was told when he was asked to write it that it was going to be for a low-budget indie project with a lot of ambition. So when he saw the final movie, he was really disappointed with it because he called it, oh, this is just a low-budget Hollywood slasher. I can't believe that I was lied to about this. Um, he, I could be wrong on this, but I think I read he wouldn't release the soundtrack until 2001. Because he just, like... Was so mad about it. Was so mad about it. And then I read that he made a comment, like, it's become such a classic score that, like, I still get paid, like, every year a good amount of money because people continue to buy the score. It's a beautiful score. Yeah, for sure. I like that they they went with almost, like, a gothic horror route, but, like I said, setting it in into, like, you know the urban times with the social commentary, like, normally I don't think something like that would gel. But fuck, does it work in this movie? It does. I think it's funny that this movie doesn't get as much credit as you would think for its social commentary, especially with like that being like a really big thing now. You think that this movie would be getting like a second wind of really popularity? Well, it's actually really big. I think, it's yeah, actually really big with like uh, like film scholars and like critics and stuff. Like it's if you look, there's like a huge list of all these yeah, things. Like I'm, I'm referring... this person, like this critics, like top hundred movies that you have to see, and like all, like all of this stuff. And uh, I think that it'll catch a lot of wind, too, with uh, Jordan Peele remaking exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of his Yeah, but isn't Tony Todd are... a little... A sal- he's a little salty with him See, right no, now. No, I read multiple things with that, too. So, I, so some uh, page that I follow on Facebook posted that Tony Todd said that he was upset that Jordan Peele didn't even approach him to be in the movie. But then other, pretty much everything else I've read has said that, like, Tony Todd gave his blessing, and he said that he's really glad that Jordan Peele... He might have said something sarcastically, like, joking yeah, around, like, oh, uh, he didn't ask me. Yeah, that he's re- he said he's really happy that Jordan Peele, who's actually, like, really smart, is the one that's taking helm of it, and he, he trusts that he's going to do a good job with it. And I think he even, like, on Twitter, gave his blessing to the guy who's going to be playing Candyman, mm-hmm. and said, like, enjoy it, like, I've... I've had this for 25 years, and it's been such a great experience for me. I feel like when you actually, like, take pride in, like, the thing that really got you popular, it's got to be really hard to give that, because it becomes a part of you, you know? And I feel like it's got to be kind of hard to give that part away. Yeah, for sure. I think that's why, like, 
Bruce you know, Campbell has been so adamant, like, they can never have a different person play Ash. Yeah, because like, like, he's Ash. connected yeah. to Ash, and Ash, at some point, Ash became Bruce Campbell. Like, I am really hoping that the remake, uh, from what I've read with the remake, too, is that uh, it's going to actually be a sequel, and it's going to take place in present day, and it's going to be, like, um... I hope he has, the like, Cabrini, that really freaky coat. The Cabrini Green yeah, area has been, like, renovated and is just this new complex now, but the legend still holds up there or something like that. Um, I hope it still takes place in Cabrini Green. I think... Because yeah, they actually uh, considered... They, they considered, like, Cabrini, Cabrini Green, like, a monster in itself while I'm watching all these interviews. Like, it's got its own characteristic. Yeah. St- uh, I, I think... I'm hoping that they don't mess it up. There were... The reason I'm saying that is I think that it will be a, a well-done movie because I haven't seen Us yet, but Get Out was really great. Us is getting a lot of praise and stuff. Um, I think but that... I, I think that Jordan... I think Jordan Peele will do it good. My biggest concern is fans not being accepting of it, which is why I'm really glad that Tony Todd is like, you know, give it a chance. I think it's going to be good yeah. because... You have a different... Like, look at the Hellraiser movies. Like, how much shit they got because they replaced... Um... Mm-hmm. Doug Bradley? That's yeah. Right. Yeah, they replaced Doug Bradley as Pinhead. Or, like, when Nightmare on Elm Street was remade. Now, those movies aren't masterpieces by any means, so I think that they had more yeah. flaws than just those characters. But when you think Candyman, you think Tony Todd. So... Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing, is that, that a lot of these other series, you know, have had multiple actors play the same character, and Tony Todd is Candyman, and um, I think that... I think, though, that Jordan Peele's the right person to do this movie. Um, whether or not he's, like, the next greatest horror movie director, I can't say, but I think that his social commentaries in his films have proven that this is this is the path for him, and that's the next like that movie is meant for him. If there if someone's going to recreate it, Jordan Peele should be the one doing it. Yeah. I, my my only other concern with it too is that I'm hoping with someone else's idea, he he does good with it because look at Rob Zombie. Like we we like his original movies, I but love his Rob remakes were yeah. yeah yeah. I think yeah. Though, like, <laughs> oh, God, the Halloween. thing is though is like Rob Zombie's style is very like kind of like. Trash, you know what I mean? Like, like Jordan Peele has a similar style to what Candyman. Well, really is. exactly. Yeah. Jordan Peele's style is very like high quality and like um arts artistic, and I feel like that's very. I would be I would be very shocked to hear that Jordan Peele was not inspired by this movie for his other films. Oh, absolutely. You know what yeah. I mean? I wish he was directing it. He's actually like bringing in like a known name director for it. Oh, but, is he? You know, I thought he was. I thought he no, was writing and directing just, it. He's uh, producing it. I think he might be writing it too. Well, I think as a producer it. though, he'll he'll have a lot of um, Say lead, and, yeah, yeah. He'll, yeah. He'll, he'll have a lot of control over what's going on, and and I think suggest. I, I think if if he's there to oversee it, it'll it'll be good. It'll definitely be good. Yeah. Um, speaking of Cabrini Green, the exterior of the. Uh, Apartment buildings, the hallways, and the stairway scenes were actually filmed in the real Cabrini Green housing projects in Chicago. Uh, the film crew had to make deals with the gangs in the area to let them yep. shoot there. <laughs> that sounds um, legal. <laughs> the yeah, the so gang, all those, all those gang members were on screen were like legit too. Yeah, the gang members agreed to do it as long as they could be extras in the movie, <laughs> and they. They said that they wouldn't, they wouldn't mess with anybody. But on the last day of filming, a sniper bullet went through the door of the van when they were shooting the final scenes. Holy shit. Yeah, nobody was harmed with it, but 
I just thought that was wild. This is why you don't fuck with gangs, okay? <laughs> just stay. <laughs> I think that just makes like the movie like that more authentic because they were in they weren't in a studio. They were in legit projects of Chicago, and Chicago could be a pretty bad bit, uh, place. So. I yeah. could not imagine, like, growing up where I grew up being anywhere where there's gangs. <laughs> I'd be nervous. So, uh, another thing, too, there is a real-life killer who's referred to as Candyman. Um, we actually listened to a, a podcast about him. Um, his name's Dean Coral. He has no relation to this story. He was just referred to Didn't as Candyman. Didn't he just, Candyman. like, get, like offer boys, little boys candy all the time? Yeah, he would offer kids, uh, people candy and lure them in and rape and kill them. And that is a whole, like fucked up wild 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 we do suggest you watch true true crime garage yeah listen to the true crime garage episode i think it's actually called the Candyman. um fucking check that out fucking crazy like i've i've never heard of this guy and i don't know how i've never heard of this guy because he it was brutal shit but anyway back to the movie but um hold on actually while we're on the subject though of the the true crime uh the killings in this uh were also kind of legit um there was uh, not Candyman that you guys are talking about, but there was a series of murders going on. That's how they got the idea for like the tunnel going through the med cabinet. Mm-hmm. That there was actually someone going through uh, the med cabinets connected to the apartments, like create uh, committing murders. Well, yeah, I think I I read something about that, and there I think they actually used like articles in the movie from when it was actually happening. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Could you imagine just using the bathroom and someone breaking through your med cabinet oh from God. the other side? Holy shit. So, uh, <laughs> all I have next is, uh... Holy shit, it's right. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so all I have next is, uh, some B facts. You guys ready for some B yes, facts of the day? we definitely gotta B-facts. cover some B facts. Okay. So uh, the bees that were used in the film were bred specifically for the movie. Were they, they honeybees? Probably. Mm. They had to um, they had to use the bees when they were 12 hours old because when they're 12 hours old they look mature but their stingers aren't formed enough to do any damage. <clears throat> um, Virginia Madsen was highly allergic to bees so they had to have an ambulance on set at all times when they were filming any scenes with the bees. Tony Todd actually had the like the scene where the bees are coming out of his mouth. He actually had them in his mouth. The only, uh... Did Peter go after him for that? The only time... No, I don't think any were harmed. But the only thing that he had in his mouth to protect him was a guard in the back of his mouth that kept them from going down, crawling down his throat. Which one of them did get down his throat? Did they? Yeah, one of them, one of them uh, got past the guard, and uh, he was, like, choking on it. Also, when they had to, like, cover his body in the bees, mm. um... I think there was, like, maybe a couple that got under the prosthetic rib cage, Jeez. and that were kind of trapped in there. But, you know, compared to the amount of bees that they had to work with, he only got stung throughout the whole series, actually, 23 times, which, if you think about it, isn't that bad. That was my final bee fact. I've probably oh, been stung more than that. In some... <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> good job for finishing it up. Cool. So, so that wraps up our bee facts. Let's hop into the movie. Hell yeah. So, um... When you said B-facts, I was thinking B-movies, and I'm like, okay, what stupid facts do you have? <laughs> no. But then, like, you literally <laughs> meant the bees, the honeybees. So, uh, the movie starts out with Helen and her friend, I don't remember her friend's name, but they're listening to this story about Candyman, and it 
has Billy the bad boy, who is uh, Ted Raimi. Hell Ted, yeah! In case you didn't know, Ted Raimi is Dylan's father. <laughs> Apparently, he's I adopted. Look like Ted Raimi. <laughs> Dylan's adopted, and we cannot confirm or deny whether this is truth, but he looks like him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I thought that was hilarious that they had Ted Raimi play the bad boy. <laughs> Yeah, I know yeah, he's like a nerd. I loved it. Yeah, Joxer, um, Joxer's the bad boy of the group. So they, uh, they're hearing this story about how this girl was babysitting, and she invites Billy the bad boy over, and candy. They say the Candyman thing in the mirror five times, and he ends up killing the girl, the and baby. And Billy's hair turns white. Yeah. And I was like, that happened in it. <clears throat> that happened in Nightmare on Elm Street. With Nancy is that hair. like a thing? Is that like um? Yeah, like, like you go into shock so bad. You get that so your scared, hair turns... your hair turns. Well, is it like yeah. stress related? Like, how um, my hair's turning gray? <laughs> I'm sure. Forty-seven, um... going on eighty. <laughs> yeah, so it, it turns out that they're hearing this story of this urban legend while they're writing a paper about Candyman. Well, they're writing a, a story, a paper about urban legends. You kind of get this contrast early on in the movie. Um, when it shows Helen in her apartment and she opens the curtains and you have like this beautiful view of like the city and the, the skyline and everything and it kind of cuts to Cabrini Green which is like the projects of the movie and I, th- I think that that is a really strong way of showing like the the class system and the race things yeah. that were going on in the movie that it was trying to portray um, so they go to Cabrini Green to investigate this urban legend, and I love that they see the gang, and they're going up the stairs, and they're, like, huddled together and stuff, and they're, like, Helen goes, oh, they won't do anything, they think we're cops. You do not look like a fucking cop! <laughs> and you guys are running away terrified, yeah. and, like, they just keep saying it over and over, like, oh, don't worry, they think we're cops. I'm like, I don't think they think you're cops, I don't think that that's a thing. Well, then, they, but then they go and they're like, "Hey, everyone, five o, five o." So, like, you know, that's code for cops. So yeah. I guess like they had him fooled, but yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't have been convinced. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they hear this this story, or they're investigating it, and I will say that the shots that they have for Cabrini Green, um, not necessarily like just the typical shots of like the hallways and stuff, but this like mausoleum to Candyman that they have with all the graffiti of his head, and when you have um. What's your, when you have Helen, like, crawling through the hole in the wall, and it's, like, Candyman's mouth, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like it's really fucking cool. Like, yeah, I, it is. It's a cool set, and it was a cool choice, because it's kind of, like, I, I kind of picture that as, like, her descending, like, almost into hell, or, like, into his domain. That's pretty cool. That's a good analogy right there. Yeah, but, uh... They're, they're investigating this. They meet this woman who has a baby. And I think that this is a really important thing, too. How is it she shows the one that, that was, like... She's a mother. I'm not... I'm not, not everybody's like, like the people downstairs. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's a really strong... Uh, this whole movie is just... Like you said, Sierra, I feel like it doesn't get as much credit for its context. And it's I, an important... Like, that's the thing is, like... It's popular as a horror film, but the reality of this movie, it's so much more than that, and it really is an important movie, and it was a really important movie at the time that it came out. Yeah. Absolutely. But it, it's one of those things where it's it's kind of timeless, like, it, which is, it's a sad thing, but, like, 
it this the message still was it 17 years later 27 years later still yeah. carries on yes yeah, so yeah. i'm not 17 till i wish <laughs> i don't wish that'd be weird but to go uh, back so I, I i love uh helen has a meeting with this guy who's like telling the legend of Candyman. And this guy is just fucking. This guy is just fucking nuts. He's got like long hair, and she says something to him, and he just like laughs really fucking loud for a long ass time. And I'm like, this guy, this guy can't be real. But yeah, he he gets his comeuppance in uh in the later sequels. See, I never watched the second and third one, but uh, I I love this scene because you get the backstory of. Candyman in this whole story in a way that it's almost like you're there listening to the legend be told. Yeah. And uh, I, I watched a couple videos on the movie, like just reviews on YouTube, and I forget whose channel it was, but one guy had said that this movie really feels like a fairy tale, like a dark fairy tale. And I, I think that that's a pretty good... I do, I agree. It, it, the, it, the weird thing about this movie is like... A lot of times when you say a movie's dark, it's, like, figuratively and literally, like, usually, like, a dark film's, like, visually, yeah. it's dark. This film isn't. It's, it's kind of, like, a lighter film. It's yeah, brighter. like, all of the scenes. Most, of, it, most of it's up. during the day. Yeah, lot, like, exactly. a good majority of the movie's filmed during the day, which is really strange for horror. But it's, like, the tone, like, the yeah. entire tone of the movie just feels, like, it's very, um... Like, almost hopeless, I feel like, yeah. when you're watching it. It feels very hopeless, and it's like... Uh, and, like, whenever you hear Tony... T- like, even with... There could be not an ounce of him in this movie visually. His voice in this movie is enough to give you nightmares. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He doesn't even that's... show up until 40 minutes into the movie, which... Exactly. That's probably my <laughs> my only complaint with the movie, is that it, the beginning of the movie feels a little slow. But I do think that it's important because you're getting the backstory. It sets up the exactly, whole yeah. the, the it, whole story. It doesn't even really bother me too much. Um, but going off of uh, what you were saying, Sarah, about his voice, like even um, just to go back to the beginning, like uh, when that opens up and you hear that line, what's blood for if not for shedding? And just in that voice, it just like genuinely uh, sends shivers down my spine because like, I don't know. There's something about Tony Todd's voice that is just so He's menacing. An amazing actor because yeah. not a lot of to be able to to create that type of um, discomfort from just the sound of your voice. Exactly. Damn guy, like I can <laughs> feel what he's saying in my bones from his voice. You know, like yeah. You don't need a facial expression. You don't need special effects makeup. You don't need. His hook hand. You don't need any of those visuals. It's just his presence. Just is... his presence in his voice. It's just like immediately like like um, when you get a bad feeling. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And when he finally does like make his presence on screen like physically, what an introduction. Like when mm-hmm. she's in the parking garage. Well, she doesn't believe him at first because she gets attacked by somebody who claims to be Candyman. But then she gets put in that trance. Yeah. (laughs) She gets put in that trance where she starts seeing flashes of things. And it is. It's like a hypnotic trance. And the the connection between them I I find really interesting because... I, I don't know. It's... 
it's it's like he needs her. Mm-hmm. But he's slowly driving her towards him. It's not just... It's like a manipulation kind of thing. And I think that the hypnosis plays into it a lot. Is He's kind of leading her to him. And you see him breaking her throughout the movie. Yeah. Also, like, that um, bathroom scene where, like, the one kid, like, takes uh, Helen to um, where that one kid was, like, pretty much his fucking dick was chopped off. Yeah. That that scene gave me nightmares for kid. Uh, uh, <laughs> nightmares as a kid for years. I would always have this reoccurring dream that I was using, like, a public, like, bathroom and Candyman. I would just turn around and Candyman would be there. <laughs> and and just, well, no, it wouldn't get like that graphic. Thankfully, oh my god, can you, I can't imagine. I'd never sleep again. Probably, you know what I mean? But as a kid, let me tell you, just to see that kid like sitting there holding his shit and yeah. blood is just splattered everywhere, that was a fucking impactful scene. Well, I think that this movie really pushes boundaries too because it doesn't hold back with the kids. And I mean, no, not yeah, at all. I, I remember the first time watching this movie when uh, Helen wakes up from that trance after first seeing Candyman, and she's like, "The crib is just full of blood and shit." Yeah, and I'm and just like, "Oh my god, head? she killed!" I was like, "She killed a fucking baby," but I mean, that wasn't the case. But I mean, the yeah. first time watching it, I didn't know that, and I'm like, "This is fucking wild," but. uh... To even let you it, think that that happened is exactly. very, is very it's, brief. It's very dark, but um, it is. It's it, it doesn't hold back, and I I feel like I don't know if this is just me, but throughout the movie, I almost got this sense of like you wonder if Candyman is real or if Helen is just like losing it and killing these people. And I, I don't, I mean, like, it sets it up, like, for example, when she's in the mental hospital, and it, they're showing her the video, and she's, like, freaking out, like, he's right there, like, flipping the fuck out, like, you, you kind of get this sense, like, is he really there, or is she just, because everything that happens in the movie, she could have carried out mm. on her own. And he, and he, like, pretty much frames her, too, to make it look like she did it. Because, like, when the cops bust into the apartment, she's got the cleaver in her hand. When um, Trevor comes home and uh, she finds he finds, like, Bernadette dead and she's got the knife in her hand and she's all bloody. So it's almost like he sets her up. But then it goes back to the whole idea of, like, almost like with uh, Freddy Krueger where it's like, I need people to believe in the legend. Yeah. That's, so it's that's almost like he's using say. her. Yeah. Yeah. There is um, a... The Bernadette murder scene, even though you don't really see it, the sounds of her getting butchered yeah. is enough. And then in the extended UK cut, they focus on her body, and she is just ripped to shreds. I feel like sound is very important in this movie, whether it be the soundtrack that we talked about, Tony Todd's voice, which we talked about, or just like the uh, the sound effects of, like you said, you don't need to see it, but it leaves it up to your imagination hearing it. It might be an interesting yeah. experiment to just listen to the audio. Yeah. Or, like, not just the audio, but, like, just don't watch it, just listen. Oh, that was the same with, like, like audio um, Halloween. It. Halloween during the test screenings, everyone, uh, the, some uh, uh the critics were like, this just isn't scary. And then John Carpenter started adding the score and everything, and then everyone was create, like, holy shit. You need to create, create like, that anxiety. Yeah. 
that is like but that's the thing that's a huge part of horror and this movie really did perfect it is like the use of sound to create tone like mm-hmm. th- this movie literally is probably the perfect example this S- Suspiria is another one mm-hmm. um it follows for a more modern example but they there those are three movies that really perfected the use of, of music and to to create a tone in a movie yeah absolutely um I just like to throw out names so I look like I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> Another thing that's interesting too is uh I I feel like this whole movie is pretty much an origin story for another urban legend being Helen at the end of the movie because yeah. she becomes her own, you know, he said Helen five times in the mirror and she showed up and killed him. Yeah. And she's all burned up cool. and shit. Yeah. I like the I like to see Trevor get his. He's a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he was a fucking scumbag. And it's funny because like he he's good at playing scumbag because uh he he was in another movie that I I rediscovered um Deadly Dreams and he played a scumbag in that one too. It's kind of funny too because Helen's best friend in the movie I don't remember her name but she played uh she played in Silence of the Lambs. Was she shit. the one in the in the pit? No. Oh, I love her. What was she in Silence? I haven't watched Silence in the Land in so I long. I heard that she plays. Uh, the only people Clarice's I know. Clarice's best friend in that movie. Clarice Damn. has a friend. I thought she was a workaholic. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, just like that go-to best friend character. We're worried about you, Clarice. She's the sidekick. <laughs> yeah, I thought the doctor's office scene actually made up for like what you didn't see with Bernadette's like um, murder. Because, oh, like, they, like, they don't yeah. hold back when they show the uh, the psychiatrist getting killed. Yeah. I, I kind of... It caught me by surprise, too. I haven't watched this movie in probably, like, ten years. And uh, I, I forgot a lot of the stuff that happened in it, to be honest. And uh, when, he, when his hook goes through the psychiatrist, I wasn't expecting it, to be honest with you guys. I, I will say, too, so... I hear a lot from people that this movie terrified them and scarred them. This is actually one of those movies that, like, you know how you hear a lot, like, oh, The Exorcist is the scariest movie, I won't watch it, Mm -hmm. or, um, my example is my mom saw Nightmare on Elm Street when she was younger, and she's been terrified of Freddy Krueger ever since then, like, absolutely fucking terrified, like, still has nightmares about him, and this is one of those movies that people tell me all the time, like, yo, fuck Candyman, that movie, like, scarred the shit out of me. Well, I can vouch for that, because as a kid, like, all of us, me, my cousins, we were all terrified of Candyman, and none of us would say his name five times. Yeah, I remember being afraid of saying Candyman (laughs) in the mirror. Well, I remember Sira told me about the movie when we were in high school, and uh, she's like, yeah, it's really fucked up, it's really terrifying, like, it's really scary. And, you know, me being the edgy, cool kid was like, yo, let's watch it. And we watched it, and I'm like, this movie sucks. Yeah, you sucks. really didn't appreciate it when you first watched it. <laughs> I was like, it. this movie sucks. It's not even scary. Yeah, you made me feel like I was. I picked a stupid movie, and I was like, I thought it was scary. Yeah, she so was like, I thought it was scarier. But um, hearing people, like, ever since then be like, yeah, you know, it's so terrifying, it's so terrifying. It made me, like, try and be more open-minded like, what did going I miss? back into it. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's one of those things where... 
it, it was made for an older audience. It wasn't made for the young yeah, because person so that's much... going through and, and wants to see blood and guts and yeah, slashing. Yeah, exactly. Is it... You're, you, were, you were critiquing this in the time of Saw. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was the same thing for, like, Hellraiser. Like, I didn't get it as a kid. And then as, as an adult, I fucking love the first three. I you know still I mean? can't do Hellraiser, man. I, tr- <laughs> oh, I tried. Oh, the first three I've... have a special place in my heart. The more I watch them, the more I love them. <laughs> I say the first two. The third one, ugh. I like it for its own weird 90s cheese reasons. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always thought 80s horror was really bad, and then I got introduced to 90s horror, and I was like, shit. You know, they but never sent Candyman really to good. space. Yeah, thank, thank you, Tony Todd, for not being phony Todd in space. <laughs> So it, yeah, it was interest. It was interesting to go back and have a more open mind while watching it, and really being able to enjoy it and appreciate. I think understanding to the the whole concept behind it. Yeah, yeah, it makes it 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 makes it like I said, this isn't just an important horror movie, which I do think it is a staple horror movie. If you haven't seen it, like, and you're a horror fan, what are you doing? Go out and see this movie. But this is an important movie in general, and I already said this once. I think. I think especially for the time, and I think it's ahead of its time for what it was doing. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely agree, and I think uh, the impact still holds up. Um, it's, oh, fuck, you know, without giving away my rating, like, this movie is still pretty terrifying. And uh, when I was watching the other night, um, my mom came out into the living room, she was like, holy shit, like, Candyman? <laughs> And she was like, this fucked us up even when it came out. And she was like, when that came out, she was like 18, you know? Mm-hmm. And she was like, she even agreed, like, she's like, this movie is a fucking classic today. Yeah, I I think being able to look at it, too, because I've really gained an appreciation for psychological horror. And it really mm-hmm. is. And it yeah. really is a psychological horror movie. But it, I feel like it's it's interesting because... It feels like a fairy tale, like a dark fairy tale type movie. It feels like a psychological horror. It feels like a slasher. It feels like it, yeah. It, 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 it feels like so many things in one movie, but it's not like um. Perfect example. We covered the void, and my biggest complaint with the void is that they tried to shove so much into one movie because it was creature horror. It was you know demons. It was so yeah. much blended into one that it almost like took away from it this i don't think it takes away from it i think that everything was added in at the right amounts to make it work and flow together yeah i agree so so you guys want to rate can you yeah and before we get to ratings though real quick that one plot twist of like helen seeing the mural of her and then like tone uh candyman's voice it was always you that was pretty crazy yeah, I, I, was I think like, oh, that. Oh shit! <laughs> I think that that adds to like the the fairy tale aspect of it. Yeah, it and that's the thing is like Clive Barker's like works they are like really fucked up fairy tales. He actually has a book that we used to have in uh, my library in high school, and it was just like his own take on like folklores, but like darker takes. We have, we have two whole beautiful, beautiful, beautiful books of artwork by Clive Barker. Yeah, oh, sick. From uh, Thomas Nagovin. Shout out to our homeboy. <laughs> we love you, Thomas Nagovin. You're awesome. Yeah. Um, he, he, Tom, Clive Barker is a very talented guy. It's just uh, 
some of his blending between his lines between uh, sexualization and yeah. art kind it's, of it's blur a little, a little bit at times. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah, like the yeah. Hellraiser series really kind of made. I like, like it personally, but I, I can feel, see why it would. <laughs> I feel like straight up, like I feel like Hellraiser was like his way of coming out of the closet that he's like really into funky stuff. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, he is not the whole idea for Hellraiser ha- hanging out like BDSM like places in the city that you can only gain access to by going to like near the docks no but i think like during like the 80s though that was like their almost like their safe haven to like explore their sexuality because like you know like being like gay at the time wasn't as open as it is now so like people would go to these kind of like bars and uh, you know areas to really like explore their fantasies you know while being comfortable i'm just imagining like a bunch of people showing up like you like funky sex? Yeah, me too, man. What's up? Clive Barker. In... <laughs> just a weird... I'm sorry. My mind is so like. Clive Barker in, in general though, is a, a very interesting uh, individual. Like, it, I, I feel like we could do a whole episode just on Clive Barker's life because there's just some weird shit. Like, I, I remember hearing the story that like he got dental work done, and it was like. I don't know, something happened where, like, it was septic in his mouth, and he ended up blacking out and got rushed to an ambulance, and he was in a coma for, like, three days, and he woke up and had no idea what the hell was going on, and I read that that was inspiration for a lot of, like, a lot of his work, too, or, like, a certain movie or story that he did was heavily influenced by that, of him waking up and just having all these doctors around, and he had no fucking clue what happened. Yeah. So I would love to tear apart his mind and pick yeah, apart. I would yeah. not. I don't want to know what's in there. <laughs> I don't want to be in it. I'll 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 um admire from afar, but <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to be I don't want to be in his torture porn mind. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be in there. It makes me uncomfortable, man. <laughs> it, there there are uh lines for sure. I do want to cover Nightbreed, but I'm kind of waiting cuz they're letting out that like Ooh, three the cabal hour... cut. Yeah. Which, uh, to tie into Nightbreed, that's how the director met Clive Barker. That he was, uh, I think he was working on something at the same studio that they were shooting Nightbreed at. And then they, uh, Bernard Rose and Clive Barker just started hitting it off. And that's when, like, Bernard just wanted to start tackling, uh, Candyman. Yeah, because Nightbreed came out two years before this. Yeah. I will say that, um, Clive Barker's art is very interesting. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, this Cabal It's as dark as his movies are. Three hours long. Yeah. I'm interested to check it out. You're disgusting. Let's rate Candyman. I'm gonna push you down Sounds the stairs. Good. What? We're rating Candyman. Oh. I'll go first. Alright. Um I'm gonna give Candyman I'm gonna give it an eight point three. Dang. Dang. Um it was really enjoyable to go back to and like I'd said it. it I feel like all of the um, aspects of psychological and slasher and everything were, were blended together very well. Everything was put together. Tony Todd is a fucking icon because of this movie. Not solely because of this movie, but like... This started it. Uh, when I think Tony Todd, I, I go to Candyman. I and think then Candyman I also right go to Hatchet. Yeah, I mean, Hatchet, <laughs> Night of the Living Dead, um, oh, yeah. fucking uh, the Final Destination movies. He played... I the Crow. Dude, yeah. I have not watched the Final Destination movies since those bad boys came out, and I definitely didn't get past the second one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to with cover the log, that. With I the love, log truck. Love Tony Todd and the Crow. Love them. 
I love the crow. So there you go. So yeah, I, I think that uh, it it was important to go back and rewatch it with a more mature mindset and understanding. Understanding, yeah. Now I'm not saying that like if you're, I'm not saying that if you don't like dark movies that you're not gonna like it because it is a very good slasher as well. Like there, there it, it, it has elements of yeah. it, but I think that you're not gonna get the same enjoyment out of it if you it. It is very much a slow burn movie. Like I said, you don't get a lot of action stuff until about 40 minutes into the movie. I do feel like teenagers would not appreciate this movie at all. Like, I feel like young kids will because, like, not appreciate it, but this will scare young kids because of, like, the Candyman five times in the mirror. Yep. And this is, like, <laughs> imp- like adults get it and it's good. I think teenagers would be like, this is stupid. Yeah. Listen, yeah. the minute you see that kid in the fucking public <laughs> bathroom... You'll never use a public bathroom again. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to give it an 8.3. Okay. What you got, Steven? I'm coming in with, like, hmm. I'd say I'm going to give it a 9.5. I fucking love this movie. Uh, oh it is timeless. I love the social commentary on it and the fact that, like, Cabrady Green is its own character in a way. It's almost like a monster, too. Um, it just feels very authentic in in terms of, like, horror. Like, it hit, like you said, Dylan, it hits all those spots without trying to jam in too much, and it just gels really well. Uh, Tony Todd's presence in this is just unmatched. Um, to me, he is, like, the true boogeyman, because um, all of us kids, uh, cousins and everyone, my aunt who had passed... Um, you know, back at the end of uh, January, she was a huge fan of Clive Barker, also being from the UK, and uh, she would fucking torture us with uh, this movie and just, you know, jokingly say Candyman in front of the mirror and we'd all freak out. And it, it's fun to revisit those old fears as a kid and seeing them now as an adult and it's still holding up. I think this is a true horror classic and you know 90s when you think of like horror classics you don't normally go to the 90s but this is one of those rare occasions yeah Sierra I think this movie I I feel like I've said everything that I need to say honestly it's an important movie um it is I agree with Steven this is a, a classic and it's really surprising coming out of the era that it came out of came out in the best year ever, 1992. <laughs> I mean, I feel that it's a shame that I feel like it doesn't get as much recognition that the other big horror films out there get. Um, I keep, like, almost sneezing, and I don't want to cut you off by sneezing. dick. <laughs> um, and I feel like Tony Todd is, is probably one of the greatest... Um, I'm trying. My words aren't coming to me tonight. I'm tired. It's fuck. I just want to talk nice. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I just feel like Tony Todd really killed it in this movie, man. Like I don't, I don't know. Like uh, his presence in this movie is just like what horror is. And and I think that's probably the, just the best way to go about it. He's not, he's not a big scary monster. He's not, you know, he he looks, you know, like a man, but. 
the way that he presents this character is really what makes him a monster in it. And, it, and it's just really, just like amazing, amazing acting skills. Really mm-hmm. amazing acting skills. And like, this movie automatically gets four points for using Tony Todd and not Tony Todd, so. <laughs> no Tony Todds. No Tony Todds. Not, not in the 90s. Um, I'd, I'd give this movie all day long an eight. So that gives it an average of an 8.6. I think that's very fair. Sorry, Erica. (laughs) Fuck off. (laughs) Alright, so um, all of us picked a movie and put it into a hat to cover next week. Syria is mixing them up Close your eyes. So do you want to pick the one you pick is the one we do, or do you want to... The one that you pick is the one we do. Okay. Do you want to pick it so that if you hate it, you can't blame anybody else? I'm really liking this one. Okay. So, the movie that we're going to be covering next episode is It's Alive. Woo! And with the recent passing of Larry Cohen, I think think it's appropriate. Hell yeah. You just want to do the first one? You want to do... Yeah, let's just... Let's do the first one. Uh, We don't have to dive into the trilogy. I mean, unless you guys want to. (laughs) This is actually, believe it or not, this is going to be a first-time watch for me. Yeah, I've, never I've seen it. I've seen the stuff, but I haven't, and I've seen like the Winged Serpent, but like I haven't seen It's Alive. I actually wanted to cover it back when Sierra was pregnant, but because it was alive. Well, no, it's about a, a baby, <laughs> evil baby. I don't need anything about evil babies. We can't do this. I'm not ready. The the child's been. Would you guys want to do a, a double of It's Alive and Maniac Cop? I don't know if I yeah, can get the uh, cap. That sounds cheesy as Bruce fuck. Campbell's in it. Listen, okay, Bruce I'll Campbell's Bruce. in it. It's, it's, trust me. And, and Tom Atkins. I'm going to do it for Bruce because... What have you got to lose? Bruce Campbell liked my baby. <laughs> what have you got to lose? You got so, Bruce Campbell and Tom Atkins. Got it. So our next uh, episode is going to be It's Alive and Maniac Cop. Double feature in honor of Larry Cohen. Hell yeah. Keep an eye out for that. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horror Haven Podcast, on Twitter at Horror underscore Haven, on YouTube, just look up Horror Haven Podcast. We're going to be doing a review video on the Friday the 13th series where we rank each film. If the child ever decides to sleep. Yeah, I will um, give you guys my rankings so you could throw that on there. All right. And then uh, we are going to do an episode two um, on that somewhat soon. Possibly with Larry, right? Yeah, Larry wants to jump on for that. Um, You guys are going to do a full-blown episode with Larry as far as, what, rating them? Well, we were going to rank the series, and we were just going to do it, me and Sierra, and Larry hit me up and said that he wanted to be on. Then he said he might just record, like, a a bit to send to us, depending on his schedule, because he's been kind of uh, busy with life. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, we're gonna have a, a video on or a video and an episode on that. But you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Give us a review. Try and find me on Instagram. <laughs> I guess try and find Sierra on Instagram. <laughs> what are you like, the Instagram you. Waldo? I get ads from people who listen to our podcast all the time. You get ads? Yeah, that's cool. I, oh, yeah, like they add you. Okay, I got you. <laughs> all right. So uh, with that being said, we hope you enjoyed the episode and have a good night. Bye. Later. You all suck. <laughs> good night. Oh, oh good night. <laughs>
Good night. Good night. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs>